0: Hey guys, we have a very special guest this week. Edward Somerville, Walter's father, has come on to talk with us about the transformation power of the gospel. It was a really great conversation. I really hope you guys enjoy it, and thank you for listening. Welcome to Talking with Intention, a Christian podcast about self-betterment through meaningful conversation i'm michael collins my co-host is walter somerville and in every episode we sit down to talk about something that we find meaningful or something that we're still trying to figure out we're not experts we just believe that life
1: is better when we're intentional about it i hope you love the show well dad thank you for being i think our second guest ever on the podcast Um, And yeah, really, really excited to finally sit down and do this. We've been trying to do it for a little bit and appreciate it. Um, So you asked you a little bit what you wanted to talk about, if you could pick a topic for what to share on the podcast with some people, whoever's listening. And you said the gospel, which was not what I was expecting. So tell us a little bit, maybe what you had in mind.
2: Yeah, thank you, Walter. It's really a, a treat for me to be
1: here with
2: Walter and Mikey. Of course, I'm Walter's dad and Mikey's uncle Ed. <laughs> and uh, I've really been proud of the work that you guys have done on this podcast. Um, my, a little bit of my story is that. Um, I first came to kind of get my head around the gospel when I was a little younger than you guys. I was 17 years old and had a wonderful experience of, of uh, yeah of getting saved and born again. Um, I've been a teacher for all these years. I'm getting ready to turn 66 now and still teaching. Um, I've been a missionary and took Walter when he was four years old off to Mexico for about 17 years, and <laughs> that might explain a few things about Walter. Uh-oh. Um, but in, in uh, 2017, came back to this area here in North Carolina to um, help out on the staff of the Center for Intercultural Training as a facilitator, uh, working to prepare missionaries from all over the United States to head out all over the world. And um, we usually will train anywhere from 200 to 250 missionaries a year and send people out to over 100 different countries in a year's time. And one of the things I like about that that program, it lasts for about a month and then we have a little time off and a new group comes in. But like, what would you say to these people who, like most people look at as just, you know, spiritual giants and they're going off to, you know, give their life to the Lord in service and the jungles of Timbuktu or whenever, wherever. I actually don't think Timbuktu has any jungles. But, you know, it's like, uh, it's just like these, these really inspiring, amazing people. And, and so what, what we've settled on is to really just go back to the basics and to talk about the gospel and um, kind of taking a deep dive and I thought um, it, it's been very thought provoking for me to spend uh, as much time as I have really thinking about the gospel and, and what it means um, and its impact, not just at a head level of understanding what it is, but having those truths go deep, much deeper down into, into my heart and to begin to experience just the changes and transformation that God has planned for me all along, um, not through some other odd things, but just this simple, straightforward, old-time <laughs> message of the cross. So yeah, I, th- I thought I wanted to talk a little bit more about that with you guys. And if I, if I were to start out, like y- you guys have spent a lot of time working with kids and sharing the gospel with them. If I were to say, you know, t- take a minute and tell me, like, what is it that you say when you talk to a, a child about, like, uh, about what is the gospel? What, what, do you, what do you think is important to tell them?
0: I work with kids from very different ages as well, so 7 through 15. So part of it depends on the age Um, of the child and how much they've been exposed to it already. You know, some of them might have grown up in church and understand more of the story and and of the cross and exactly kind of what's happening and only are missing a couple things, and others have never heard of Jesus before in their lives, except for maybe once on the Internet somewhere. Um, So I found... (laughs) generally it's just about going through and talking about what Jesus did and making sure that they understand and then answering any kind of questions that they have. Um, And if there's, if they don't have any questions, then usually it's just about explaining to them that they, they don't have to do anything except for, accept it and
1: believe and explain it and kind of what that means. Um. Yeah, I think I find myself a lot of the time, especially here in the Bible Belt, I think, I hope a lot of the kids that, you know, I've dealt with seem to have had a pretty good amount of exposure to it. But I like to start with what is the problem? Why did Jesus need to die, right? What's the issue there? Well, god is good and we are flawed and so to have to be able to coexist together and have a relationship and we've got an issue right like we see in the garden there's a beautiful relationship and then it's broken and so like that's what that's why we need reconciliation is okay perfect god imperfect people and how do we how do we enter into his presence. How do we survive, you know, being with him? And so that's where, oh, Jesus comes and does something which (laughs) people don't know really how it works. And this is something that came up and we're going through the mere Christianity book little by little. And Lewis talks about there's all kinds of, you know, theology about how exactly it works, how Jesus's death on the cross paid for your sins. Mm -hmm. But he's like, what everybody does agree on is that it did work. <laughs> Somehow or other, it worked, and it's good enough uh, to, to allow you to enter into a relationship with God. Now, you, as imperfect as you are, your sins have been paid for. Now you can enter into this amazing relationship with God, the perfect God.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting that um, working with kids... Uh, the the truths of the gospel are simple enough for a child to understand, but it can get kind of tricky because you can't use any of these big you know theological terms like substitutionary atonement <laughs> and, and, and things like that. But still, the the message of the gospel is a message that is is simple enough for a, a, for a child's heart to be able to respond to. I have a quote here from Pastor Tim Keller out of New York City who says, um, you are, he, he describes the gospel like this. He says, You are more sinful than you ever dared believe, but because Jesus Christ lived, died in your place, and rose again, you are more loved than you ever dared hope. And that's a beautiful summary of the gospel. Walter, you're talking a little bit, though, that the gospel, which in Greek means the the evangelion, the good news, is kind of like a two-sided coin, though, that starts with the dark side of the coin, which says that um, we are more sinful than really we ever dared believe. And then the other part of that is God really is a lot more holy than we could ever get our uh, uh, heads around. And so oftentimes I've kind of thought about this, like uh, uh, Walter, you said you were getting ready to travel out to west and you were gonna stop off and see the Grand Canyon. So it makes me think kind of like a person standing on one side of the canyon, which is man's side, that is fallen, rebellious, and sinful, and looking across, and, and I was at the Grand Canyon just a few years ago, and standing there and looking down those mile-high cliffs at this tiny little river, and there's huge boulders down there that look like pebbles, you know, and my knees start to kind of <laughs> shake like they did on the ropes course at South Mountain Christian mm-hmm. Camp, you know, sewing machine knees. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it's uh, you. It's easy to understand why they call it the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. But uh, what an illustration, really, of, of our problem that... Here we are on our side, um, separated from God and sinful, and way over there on the other side, there stands God in all of His holiness. And, and each one of us that, that is a believer, you know, at some point in our life, we, through the help of the Holy Spirit and the conviction that God brings and the, the light that He's shown into those dark places, we came to the point where we realized that we're in trouble and that w- we needed help, <laughs> and that we would not be able to cross that canyon on our own, and that um, that's, well, that's when we, we realized that uh, the work of the cross was that Jesus laid his life down like a bridge crossing from God's side to ours, and that by faith he invited us to step out and walk across that bridge of His love and His forgiveness and His grace, and be able to be reconciled and reunited with God. Um, have you ever thought of that that image or yeah, use that?
1: yeah? We learned that at CIU Bible College. They taught us how to use different verses and you know draw out this cross, the chasm, and then you draw in the cross as the way to get across. But what's striking me there is it's really easy. I think a lot of people understand, okay, God's good. I'm definitely not. They understand the, the gap there, the chasm, mm-hmm. and how how instinctual it is for us to try. Our immediate thought is, how do I get over there? Mm-hmm. Right? How do I go to there? Mm-hmm. And the more and more we struggle with that, hopefully at some point we come to the realization, like you said, Dad, we can't, we can't cross, and so how good is it that instead of us going there, he came here, quite literally, like to earth, uh, in the form of a man, and so we can now make the journey that we couldn't before, mm-hmm. you know, with that image of like a cross laying across the chasm, you know, we couldn't make it on our own. Now, thanks to him, we can. But it's still active. It's not just we sit here twiddling our thumbs. You know, it's by grace, but through faith. Right. And so it's still active. I think that's pretty cool.
2: One thing I think that's, that I would like to touch on is this though, is that the, what we're describing right here is that moment when the light bulb came on and you realized that there was a bridge across that gap and by faith you stepped out and you know, you began to walk towards God there. That's the moment of salvation. That is that moment in our Christian lives when we're born again. Um, How long does it take for a person to be born again? Hmm. How long, how much time does it take for a person to experience salvation?
1: A second? (laughs) Yeah. An instant? Yeah,
2: that's
0: second walter's answer to this question it happens in an instant i think you know
2: well then so here's a very very important thing i think for for christians to consider and that is in the story of your walk you know with christ your christian life the, your salvation was vital. That was a critical moment. I mean, that's when it all began. But in in your story, in your testimony of your life walking with Jesus, that was one second <laughs> of your story. And so how long have you guys been believers? How long have you been Christians?
0: I i mean my one of my earliest memories is watching a easter cartoon when i was i don't know four or five and seeing the cross and this, that scene happen and like think it like clicked with me that this was the same jesus that i've been hearing about in church and you know that in all the the bible lessons my parents would tell me of going to bed and and I remember getting emotional and talking to my mom and about it, and and she explained salvation to me as best as she could to a four year old, and and so I, I, for me, that was kind of the moment, I guess, and and I don't remember much of my life before or recently after that. I've got a few memories from back then, but that's definitely one that stuck with me. Um, so I guess I would say from that point...
2: And you're how old now? 25. From 4 to 25? Yeah. Can you do the math?
0: <laughs> so 26 years? No. <laughs> 21 years. <laughs> so glad that
2: this isn't a math show. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah. So 21 years. Okay, how about you, Walter?
1: Um, I had a very... I think, I don't remember ever feeling like I wasn't a Christian, but I remember I had a moment where I kind of decided I'm going to make this my own faith, not just my family's faith. And I think I was 16 when that happened. So I think that's when I I really kind of stepped out on my own and said, okay, yeah, this is for me as well, not just inherited through you and mom. Uh, Yeah, this is... This is real for me, and I believe it as well. And so that's sixteen. So I'm now 24. Mm-hmm. So eight years, yeah. bingo. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, in
2: in those theological circles where they're talking about, you know, substitutionary atonement, another, another term they like to throw out is called progressive sanctification. Mm-hmm. And in layman's terms, we're just talking about being changed, being transformed. And so, if the Christian story begins with one second of salvation, what percentage of the Christian life really is the story of your sanctification and, and the, the transformation that God wants to see take place in your life?
1: Mo- the vast majority of it.
2: <laughs> yeah, 99.999%. Yeah, so, so, this is the thing, uh, something that troubles me is that in many churches and i I don't want to slam anyone but in many churches you hear the message of salvation preached again and again and again and there's an altar call again and again and again and and that's great there's people all the time that need to hear that but there are people who have responded to that message and they've been born again, and they are Christians, and they've sat on that same spot in that same pew for 30 years without having experienced really a transformation in their life and change in their life, heart change. And if, if the majority of our Christian story is really what God does after we've been saved or given our hearts to him then you know i think we should spend a lot more time talking about well how do we get our heads around that transformation how do we pursue that what well, what does god use to help us to to become what he wants us to be to to be transformed or conformed to the image of christ and I've asked that question many times of people, and I've heard lots of different answers. I mean, let me ask you guys, what has God used in your life to to help you to be transformed, to, to help you in your Christian journey
1: and to grow? Most, most relevant to this, probably talking with good friends like Mike is probably the biggest way for me. I don't know. What do you think?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very, very much the same for me. I think it's the conversations and reading scripture mm-hmm. and studying it and looking into Greek and Hebrew translations and words and trying to gain a better understanding of that. And then also books, um, Christian books and just general books on different ways of thinking and, and comparing that to the lessons that I find in the Bible and in scripture and then talking about them. Um, and I don't know for me, I remember when i the summer after I graduated high school was when I kind of had a moment of taking it more seriously, I guess taking my walk with God more seriously and and deciding that I was gonna this was I was going all in basically and I'm like this is I'm gonna give God everything that I've got and And because I believe that his plan is going to be better than mine, so I'm not going to hold anything back. And so for me, that's kind of what I think of it means when they talk about taking up your cross and denying yourself and following him. And so the practice of that, of denying my own will and putting his will first through prayer and, you know, any opportunity I have, I guess.
2: I think those are great answers, Walter. You're talking about just having other people that speak into your life that are our believers. Uh, that's so important because um, one really true thing that I can say is that all of us carry blind spots around, you know, and a good friend is able to see around those blind spots. And you're both uh, married, not, not for a long time, but what a blessing a wife can be because let me tell you if you want to know where your blind spots are just ask your wife you know and then mikey you you've mentioned the importance of scripture you know the truth of god's word that that helps us to to uh, see things and to grow those are very good answers i've i've heard other people talk about um just their quiet times uh, meditation and prayer I've heard many people respond and say that as they've gone through suffering and and trials, that is something that has refined them and helped them to become more like Christ. Um, uh, There was something else I was thinking that I've heard people talk about how um, that that has helped them to grow more like Jesus. But it's interesting that when I ask that question very seldom does anyone answer well the gospel the, the gospel is what is helping me to experience that deepening in my faith and that that transformation in my life and and so I'll I'll stop and say well let me ask you guys this question when when you had that moment of of coming you know, giving your heart to Jesus and being born again, what were some of the concepts? You know, there's, you were talking about C.S. Lewis had all different, or maybe it was Walter, different ways of kind of trying to explain it. What, what were some of those ex, uh, ways of looking at it or thinking about that moment of salvation that, that became real to you in that moment?
1: Oh, yeah. Because it was right when I was reading through, I think it was just, I think it was mere Christianity. But I'm not sure that's where this quote is coming from. But I believe it's Lewis again. Talks about how some people see, you know, your life before Christ as you're floundering around in the ocean, right? There's a good metaphor for it. And you know, God comes along on a yacht and saves you, right? Yeah. But what made it a, a lot more profound to me was like, we're not floundering around in the ocean. We're dead on the bottom of the ocean. Um, you know, it's like just a better way yeah like you said the bit you know i think it's true that the the more accurately we can see the gap between ourselves and god's goodness mm-hmm. the more meaningful it is that it's been bre- it's been crossed and yeah. what he's done and so there's two parts to that first of all better understanding your own depravity and just yeah. <laughs> how messed up you are and then also understanding a, more and more, how good God is. Yeah, and that's so, good. Yeah, that metaphor was important for me.
2: Yeah, well, name some, give us some things, Mikey, that kind of became real to you at your salvation. Like, how did you understand that? What was going on? Um,
0: for me, I think it was, I something that stands. Up, I guess that it, it seems very obvious to me when I sit and think about it how I would be, or the state that I would be in if I had never accepted Christ. I think, because uh, I I don't know really why or how, because I, be- I became a Christian at a very young age, but maybe it's thinking about the parts of me that I was still trying to keep for myself when I was in high school and growing up before I decided to give God everything that I had, and really try to practice denying myself. Um but to th- i it's I'm very aware of of what kind of person I would be if i didn't if I focused on my own will and tried to do things my own way yeah. instead of accepting the salvation of yeah. Christ and focusing on him right you know? letting him become the lord yes of absolutely your life. right um,
2: you know because y'all didn't um you didn't it, it really come to know the Lord like later on in life reminds me of of a of a of a humorous little story that i heard one time about this country church and there was this old white haired you know matriarch of the church the pillar and it was a wednesday night and they were having a service where people were sharing their testimonies and this little granny woman takes her cane and she hobbles up and she gets there behind the pulpit and leans across and looks at everyone and she says i want to praise God. God, tonight for delivering me from a life of prostitution. <laughs> And their eyes, the eyes all get big. And I want to thank the Lord for delivering from a life of drug addiction. And, you know, their jaws are dropping. And she goes on to name several other things. And then she says, yes, I want to thank God for delivering me from all that by helping me to get saved at a very early age. So I never had to go through that. Um, But, you know, there are people that have been through those things, and their word for how they understood their salvation could be something like being set free, Mm -hmm. the chains being broken off their life, being liberated. Um, Other people talk about the idea of, of, of changing over from being an enemy of God to Becoming a child of God, or from being a slave to to Satan, to being an adopted child of God, you know. Other people talk about experiencing the love of God in a in a deep and a and a real way, and some people talk about cleansing, you know, and forgiveness and being being purified and and all those wonderful things. and And each person has their own story, and it's beautiful to hear other people's stories, but. Here's here's something to think about. Those are their stories of that second of salvation. But let me ask you this. In all those hundreds and thousands, I don't know, maybe we're up to millions of seconds in my case, since I was saved, has there not been a morning that I haven't woken up when I needed to know that God loved me? That that forgiveness was fresh again, that he was giving me a, a whole new start, that he was ready to take the control and be the Lord in my life that day, that, um, you know, he was ready to empower me and, and help me to live a, a pure and a holy life. So all those things that we think about, like, oh, yeah, that was so sweet at the moment of salvation really those are things that i need every single day as i continue you know to walk forward and and to try to follow jesus i want to i want to share just a, a little a little picture uh, of something that uh, that i've tried to use in in talking to people about their their relationship with the lord and i want you to imagine this this road, a path of life that everybody in the world is walking on. And there's only two directions on that path. You can be either walking towards life and God, or you could be walking away from life and God. And all of us started out on that road with our backs turned to God, you know, all of sin and short of his glory. We were all headed off in the wrong direction. And And somewhere along that road, um, we encountered Jesus, and He invited us to follow Him. Um, Boy, we could spend a lot of time talking about... I mean, that's the word that He kept using, and I I feel like there's a lot of, of gold that could be mined in just talking more about, what does that really mean? But, you know... When we decided to take him up on that and accept that invitation, there was that moment then where, where we, ha- we decided to make that 180 degree turn and we turned around. That was our moment of salvation, uh, conversion, uh, repentance means that turning around But turning around is only part of the deal because, you know, Jesus said to follow him and he's moving along in that direction. And so, you know, it's just a question for for the people listening to this podcast. You know, have you had that encounter? Have you made your decision to to follow Jesus? And if you have, then there's still a couple of things that um, are worth thinking about. And one of those are, at at what pace are you following him? Because some people, like I said, that guy that got saved and sitting in a pew for 30 years and was never transformed or never changed, it's like he turned around, he's facing the right direction, but he's not going anywhere. And then, of course, you know, we could be kind of muddling along and, or staggering along or crawling along or, or running along. You know, uh, um, you know wh- where is our heart in, in relation to, to, to following him? And then the last thought is this, that some people who maybe got saved when they were four years old, <laughs> when Jesus called them, they weren't very far away from him to start with. And so as they follow, they're, they're not far. Other people, because they, they of, of their life story and the the enemy's plans for them and you know when they came to Christ and all they'd been through, you know, Christ called them, but maybe they're they're following, but it's from a great distance still. And so just something for us to think about is like, okay am i facing the right direction and what is my where is my heart as far as wanting to follow what speed am i, am I following and and how close am i getting <laughs> of course in this life we'll never you know be <laughs> caught completely up with him that's coming later but uh, how close am i hmm. to to him
1: yeah it makes me think of another thing in mere Christianity he finally gets to the point to talk about salvation and that turning point to turn, okay, on this path of life, like you're saying, towards God in life. And he says, a lot of people make that turn to kind of clean up their lives a little bit. They start to see the sin and the, you know, some of the nastier parts of themselves. And they think, okay, I'm going to turn to God. He's going to help me clean up these things. And he says, don't take this lightly. God's not going to stop working on you until you're perfect. <laughs> you can't tell him, okay, that's good enough right there. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, I want you to come live inside of me and transform me. Okay, I got rid of this addiction and this little sin. Okay, that's good. I'm going to pause right there. It's an all or nothing kind of deal, he says. God's not going to quit once you think you're satisfied, once you think you're good enough. Um, he's going <laughs> to keep working until you're, till you're perfect. So I think that's the same along the same lines of what you're talking about you know how far are you willing to go what's your heart at are you just focused on you know the surface level sin in your life or does it go all the way down down deep yeah yeah Hmm. one one of the things i'm going to come back to that picture of
2: the grand canyon because there's there's a, a dynamic that can take place it's so easy and deceptive and and it, here's what it is you're you're standing on this side of the grand canyon and you reach this point where you're you're ready to give your heart to Jesus you've understood your need and you've understood his love for you and you know his mercy and what happened at the cross and so you step out onto that bridge which is the gospel you know and you start taking those steps across towards him and, and that's such a beautiful thing. But I want you to think about like those years then that follow after that point of conversion, salvation, and that what happens to a believer as we go along um, is that the farther we go, um, if, if we're paying attention, what happens is that we can become more and more really aware, uh, more sensitive to really our need and and our own sinfulness like when i first got saved it was like yeah there were you know a handful of big horrible things that were going on but but as i gave my heart to the lord then and he forgave me and all but as i went on um i began to have a softer heart and i began to be more aware of the spirits kind of pointing things out and showing me things and so things that I wouldn't have even been aware of before start to become, uh, more present to me, like just my selfishness, you know, and, and my desire to kind of control things or, or how I'm chasing around, you know, looking to other people for acceptance and people pleasing and, um, my, my desires to just kind of please myself and satisfy myself or, or all, I mean, I so so this should be what happens, you know. A, as you grow in your faith, you should become more aware of just your need. And I think Paul in his writings, uh, he would talk about his awareness of I'm the chiefest of sinners, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, Paul, come on. <laughs> so I don't know that it was really he was the chiefest of sinners, but it, it is that he had, was getting more sensitized and aware. Of of his condition and and really the, you know the, the wickedness of his own heart, so. So at the same time as we grow, it should be that we're also understanding God better and understanding that He's bigger than we thought and He's purer than we thought and He's holier than we thought, and so in essence, it's like that grand canyon that you started off looking across as you move down this timeline in your in your christian faith that thing actually gets grander Mm -hmm. and grander and grander and and that distance just can seem bigger and bigger and bigger and and here's the sad thing that could happen is that if your understanding of your need is growing And your understanding of God's holiness is growing. Your awareness of that distance, of that gap is growing. What many people fail to do is they fail to let their understanding of the gospel grow at the same time. And so they have this kind of smallish size cross that was enough at that point of salvation to get them from one side to the other. But as they slide on along down the timeline, suddenly that gap is so much bigger and that cross hasn't changed. And what happens to many people, I think, in in churches all around this country is they get to the point where they say, Oh, um, that's a long way over there. And my cross is still stuck at the size it was when I first met Jesus. And so what do I do to get the rest of the way across there? So uh, what I see people doing is one of two things. One is either they pretend that the problem really isn't as big as what it was, and then their little cross will work for them. But the other thing that I see more often is that people begin to try to perform and they, try to add, they start saying, well, I'm going to add my, my little bit to the cross. So it's the cross plus, okay, these works, good works that I'm doing. It's the cross plus my perfect attendance record, you know, at Sunday school. It's the cross plus my tithing. It's the cross plus my 15 minutes that I spend every morning reading the Bible. And you'll find people showing up at church and if they've, checked all those boxes during the week then they're feeling pretty good about things and can enter into the worship but if they show up church and and they've had an argument with their wife you know on the on the way way to church that morning or the night before they you know started looking at uh, something on you know Netflix that wasn't very god honoring or whatever they kind of are feeling unworthy and really not able to, to enter into worship any Any response to that?
1: Yeah. Uh, I got to keep thinking, Mikey. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's
0: very easy. There's several different ways that people can fall into focusing on their works and legalism in different forms. And I think it's something you have to be on your guard against. And I think it's almost one way that it people f- fall into works and something that gets harder to or the risk of falling into legalism this way gets increases as your passion for god increases is this i think desire to just to to be able to do something yourself i think to be able to improve yourself for god or spread his kingdom on your own just to like um, and i think it can come from a desire to pay god back mm-hmm. for the cross or it can come from a desire to you maybe you're comparing yourself with the christians around you and you want to and on a You know, the best way, I guess, best outcome of that is want to set a good example. The worst outcome is want to prove that you're better than the rest of them. Um,
2: Kind of the playbook for the Pharisees, I think. Yeah, yeah. I I don't want to slam them. I mean, they were so zealous, you know, about trying to be perfect, and yet something was wrong there, Mm -hmm. or else Jesus wouldn't have had so much to say to them, you know?
0: Yeah, and... I think it can even come just from a—I don't know if I'm going to be able to explain it adequately because it's a little bit more complicated and I might not have a very good understanding of it, but just out of the pure passion for God in not think comparing yourself with anybody but just wanting to—I guess just wanting to rush the sanctification— um, by trying to put in the work yourself instead of allowing God to work in you and through you, like the Scripture
1: says. Um, you got something, Walt? Just brief, <laughs> just a little something, but it makes me think of love and the like. The more we understand how much God loves us, right? We our understanding of His love, hopefully, is growing day by day our human tendency it can almost be guilty Mm -hmm. feeling undeserving of the love and so i wonder if the more we understand his love the more tempting it is to try to earn it you know and at the beginning you know okay god loves me you know maybe you don't you maybe you understand it a little teaspoon and so okay, okay, I don't really deserve that, but I can accept a teaspoon of God's love, but the deeper you go in and you realize, whoa, there's oceans and oceans of it can I, it's harder and harder to just accept it right. and not try to earn it and I think that's the kind of the temptation yes. you're talking about, trying to add to the cross.
0: Right. you know you
1: talked about the the canyon
0: getting grander and grander and just like you were just saying, well, accepting more of that love, it's like is you the closer you get to God, the more you realize the separation. And you can either take that and focus and on how amazing God is for being able to bridge that gap. Yeah. Or you can focus on the gap, right. which is your pride. It's pride coming in, and you're, you know, you. It doesn't. It's sneaky because you feel you're thinking about how awful you are, which doesn't feel prideful, but it is because you're still focusing on yourself instead of on God.
2: Yeah, I want to. I want to talk just a little bit more about um, just like the gospel and um, and and my own story. I just shared just briefly that. So I got saved when I was seventeen, and I I really wanted to know God better, and so I began to uh, just read through the Bible once a year. I had a reading plan, and I would read through the Bible uh, every year, and and so um, I've I've done that from seventeen to sixty, almost sixty six. So that's a lot of times of reading the Bible, right? Um, when I was in my 40s I, I went to seminary at one of the best seminaries in the country founded by Billy Graham and made very good grades there. Um, and so if you had asked me questions about the gospel, you know Sunday school questions about substitutionary atonement, right I mean I could have I could have aced that test. And, and so I knew a whole lot uh, about the Bible, and I knew a whole lot of, about the gospel. And I feel like if if you go to churches all, all around the country, that there's so many people that could give you the right answers to the questions. But what I want to end with tonight is I want to talk about the difference between knowing the right answers and then allowing God to transform your heart. And when to talk about the like the 15 inches or whatever it is between your head and down to the level of your heart. And in my case, I was at a disadvantage when I was born. I was the first first child uh, that was born to my parents. And and my mom had a very sad history uh, where she suffered a, a lot of different kinds of severe abuse And I learned later on in life, she told me with tears running down her cheeks, that when I was born, that she just did not have any of the natural maternal kind of feelings, her mother's love for me, and that she, instead, she experienced rejection. And she remarked that I was always, I was such a pale little baby and that um, I was always dirty And it didn't help me any that uh, very shortly, like a year and a half later, my next brother was born and he was like lovely Mediterranean complexion. And then 11 months later, my next brother was born and he was even better looking than my second brother. So um, anyway, there's just this picture in my mind of this little three or four year old child that's me kind of and there's my mother sitting like in a rocking chair, and she's got my two little brothers in her lap and her arms around them. And, and there I am kind of standing off to the left and kind of out of her eyesight, just just looking up at her and just, just wishing with all my heart, you know, that, that I could be there in, in, in her lap and being held by her. And I, I, when I was in my mid-50s, I was a missionary in Mexico and things were really hard and the responsibilities were great. And I was reaching a place of just kind of burning out. And it, it just fell out that we were home for a, a furlough uh, at this particular time. And, and my wife, Debbie, and I had looked at each other and said, you know, we're, we're in bad shape. We need to definitely go and talk to the member care department there and get some counseling while we're there. And in one of those sessions, um, as the counselor was talking with me and just saying, you know, the devil likes to, to just to put these lies, you know, into our life and kind of like the foundation of a house. And we do the best we can and try to build our lives on these things. But he says, I would like to just kind of talk and pray together and just ask the Lord to reveal, you know, his truth. And and so in that session, I felt led to, to say to him, you know, in my quiet times, something that's very powerful and meaningful to me is just to imagine myself just climbing up like a little child, climbing up into God's lap and just feeling his arms around me, just kind of leaning back, you know, into that secure, loving place. And and um, I don't think the counselor really said anything in that moment. I really believe it was the Holy Spirit that spoke to me. And he said, and he said, that that's great. He says, that's a beautiful picture but I have a question for you and he said where are you all the rest of the time and in that moment my in my mind's eye I went back to that little four-year-old child who was standing there feeling neglected and unloved and rejected and wishing with all his heart that he could be there in that lap and as the Lord just said, you know, don't you realize that when you came to me, you crawled up in my lap and you've never left. You've always been there, and my arms are always around you. And when you go to bed at night, that's where you are. When you wake up in the morning, that is where you are. And what happened in that moment is that truth that I could have passed a, a test on intellectually, my understanding. I mean, I. I could have done that with my eyes closed and my hands tied behind my back, but that was a truth that was missing from deep down in my heart. And so in that moment, it dropped down into my heart. It was like a a spiritual bomb went off And, and my life hasn't been the same since. And it's not like I could just jack up the house of my life and rip the old foundations out and stick the truth in there and lower the house back down. You know for the last 10 years I've been having to rebuild my life on this truth. And I'm I don't want to be hard on myself because I mean I'm a little 4 or 5 year old kid. I don't understand this. I I don't have the you know the intellect to be able to process and understand psychology and how hurt people hurt people and all that kind of stuff. Um I, I didn't get it. But but the Lord's helped me to understand that and and, and what is that? That's the gospel. But it's the gospel that's moved from an understanding that happened when I was saved to now it's becoming who I am. It's not just something that I know about. It's not something that I'm doing. It's now it's something that I can be. And that is I can be at rest. I can be forgiven. I can be totally washed clean. And so what I've found as I'm talking to missionaries and other people is that there are aspects of the gospel that the enemy just loves to come and twist. And he just, he's adamant about um, pushing lies in our life. And so let me, let me I've got three that I just want to share with you. And these are lies that that I think many Christians struggle with and really having a heart understanding of the gospel. But listen to this one. What if, what if you heard this? On my own, I need to create and keep a good record and reputation. Okay. Well, first of all, that's a lie because it's talking about being perfect. And nobody's perfect, right? But have you met people that are kind of driven that way and perfectionist? It's exhausting to be around them. And yet that's what they're shooting for is this performance, you know, and the legalism and trying to earn it or prove something to someone. Why do you think the enemy tries so hard to push that lie? Because if we can be perfect on our own, why do we need the cross? Right. And, and it's something that takes our eyes off of the cross and off of God's mercy and grace and focuses it on us. And so it is a pride kind of a thing. But, but listen to this. This is the, the corresponding truth. What if, and, and I would just say this to anybody that's listening, I, I don't want to talk to your mind because you know this is true, but I want to speak to your heart and I want to say in your heart of hearts, what if you truly believe this? I've been forgiven And I've been given a perfect record in Jesus. Let me ask you guys, if you were convinced of that in your heart of hearts, I've been forgiven and given a perfect record in Jesus. How might that change your life or how might that change somebody's life?
1: A lot of gratitude. (laughs) If you actually take it full force and, you know. All, all the way deep down it's a lot of gratitude that's all that's left right, right. it's just gratitude yeah. you there's no more room for your own pride or trying to earn all that what's left is just being thankful and enjoying it yeah. enjoying yeah enjoy it
0: yeah. Very good. yeah yeah i agree completely you know if you really accept that as true you don't you can't be prideful about it cuz you've been given a perfect record so it produces humility and thankfulness
2: <laughs> and yet think about how many christians are like that hamster going around that wheel and just running and running until their tongue is hanging out and jesus was the one that says come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden and he offers us rest You know, if you really believe this, I've been forgiven and given a perfect record in Jesus. You don't have to lift a finger. You don't have to prove a thing. You can relax. (laughs) You can rest. That is really good news. But I'm not speaking to people's heads. I'm talking about at a heart level. And I just think, I don't know, was I just spiritually dull for all those years. I mean, what, maybe it just took me getting desperate enough, you know, and just crying out and saying, God, something is wrong. I don't understand it, but help me to see this. Let me give you another example. How about this lie? This, this is what you could call an orphan mentality. And I think there's lots of people that struggle with this. I feel alone, unwanted and flawed it's all up to me. No one helps me. I'm not talking again at, you know, they could say, oh yes, Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. But I'm talking about their day-to-day life experience, how they live and the struggles that they have. For me, it was that rejection. For me, it was that just craving for people to accept me and to love me. And you've known people who just kill themselves trying to please people, you know, and yet is it coming out of an empty place, you know, in their heart because they've believed this lie? Why does the devil push that lie? Because it goes totally against the truth that God is love Mm -hmm. and he is with us every moment of, of our lives, you know, he wants us to turn our focus inward on this little pity party, you know, of feeling alone and unwanted and flawed. So let me ask you this question. What if in your heart of hearts, n- not what you th- what you think, but down deep, deep inside of you, what if this were true? What if you believed I am a beloved child of God and I am not alone? Or on my own? How how might that make a difference in your life?
1: It'd be hard to be upset about anything and, or worried about anything. I think a lot of things that would shake and rattle you normally would kind of not matter as much. You'd be pretty rock steady, you yeah. know. Yeah, no more fear.
0: Uh-huh. It's because there's no reason to be afraid,
2: right? And and if you were to just have a podcast about people's insecurities, <laughs> I mean, everybody has insecurities. But what if you felt so secure, you were on that lap, twenty four seven, God's arms were around you. Have you known people that were like defensive when you when you? kind of had anything to say to them or try to justify themselves have you known people in situations of conflict where they're fighting so hard you know back for themselves and and if they just believe this that they were in god's lap with his arms around them you know how would that response be different
1: yeah you're talking about me (laughs) 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 i know somebody like that it's me yeah yeah Again, just gratitude is what I think about with any of this. Whereas we start off, you know, initially where if it's just in our head we try to achieve something on our own and then if it sinks down we're left with being incredibly grateful and yeah, enjoying it. Yes. That's something you said to me, Dad, when I was getting when I realized I was kind of in a relationship with Amy and it was during during the summer and I remember Kind of telling you about it, I was like, well, Dad, I think I think I might be winding up in a romantic relationship here. And you must have known me well because I was getting into overthinking everything and worrying about it. And what you said was to just enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. And it was really pretty profound. It was exactly what I needed to hear. I was ready to hear you like say, well, you know, here's you got to think—is she a good, godly woman? All these important things, and you must have already <laughs> known something because you just said, "Yeah, just enjoy it."
2: I, I wonder if I'd use the phrase, "You lucky dog, you. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy. <it>. Was, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: And so I think that I think that exactly—that kind of illustrates what you're talking about. You know, our tendency to overthink and strive for all these mm-hmm. things. And I was trying to figure out, okay, how. like probably what I honestly wanted was some good advice on how to be in a romantic relationship and all this but I was in one and so the result is enjoy it for what it is it's that is a great thing and you can just you know love it and experience it
2: I heard a person on the radio Christian speaker uh, who had a little phrase that I've remembered and is that Christian's we should live loved. And you know some of the dopiest good-for-nothing people in the world are these teenagers that are walking around, you know, just head over heels in love and they're just like almost drooling on themselves, you know. But everybody is just, you know, loves those guys, you yeah. know, just cuz they're dopey, you know, and all but but it's just beautiful to see them, you know, so so passionately uh, in love. And and just think about this that if in our heart of hearts we that was our experience that that was what we lived was that someone didn't just accept us you know didn't kind of grudgingly forgive us and take us you know into their family, but someone who is a doting father who delighted in us, you know, that when we're sitting on that lap up over us, you know, there's this smile on God's face that's going from ear to ear, you know, what What would that do if to our relationships with other people?
0: Yeah, it would be hard to, we talked about this at the last one, would be hard to be upset about anything and pretty much put you in a good mood all the time, which would give you probably seemingly unending amounts of patience and kindness for other people
2: how many people struggle with anxiety and and fear and like they're worried about all these things and yet you know if this were if this is really true and if you believed it in your heart of hearts that your heavenly father you know had you right there in his arms um how how hard would it be for us to get over into being anxious and worried and afraid, you know? And He's a generous Father, you know, if we were convinced of that.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I don't know where the quote is, but that nobody's... Something like, nobody sinned whilst looking in the face of Jesus. That's you know? <laughs> good. That's really good. But, and I don't want to throw you off, Dad, but just... How would how do we how would you point somebody in the right direction to just start taking it from the head down to the heart of hearts? How do you let, let me come back around to yeah, that, and yeah. let
2: me come back around to that. Don't let me forget that. Okay. But we're, we're winding down here. I, I did want to talk about one more facet of just kind of ways to look at the gospel because there's lots of ways. It's you know it's simple enough for a child to grasp, but we could spend the rest of our lives, you know, just examining the riches of what God really has for us. So how about this lie? It, it, it's, the, it's, this, it's this thing that we have looking for satisfaction. It's this, this, this hunger that we have. It's this emptiness that, that many of us feel inside. So this lie, I meet my needs and desires apart from God to fill the hunger inside And I read an article recently that was saying, really, in a way, you could look at it and say every single one of us struggles with addiction of one sort or another. And um, I remember seeing a movie called Beautiful Boy... It's a very powerful and a kind of a disturbing movie about a family who has a, a teenage son who's caught up in addiction. And he, he's doing better for a while, and then he falls back. And he's doing better for a while, and he falls back. And just the heartbreak that is for the family. And in this one scene, he's up in front of a group of people, and it's a narcotics anonymous group. And, and somebody asks him about um, about his problem with drugs. And he stops and he looks out at the audience and he says, understand this. He says, my problem I've, has never been drugs. <laughs> and it's like everything gets quiet. <laughs> and they, they look at each other and say, well, like, what are you doing here then? <laughs> and he says, no, you need to understand. He says, he says, my problem's not the drugs. He says, my problem for all these years has been this aching emptiness. It's been this hole in my heart. That I've carried around all this time, and he says the drugs were actually part of the, my my efforts as a, at a solution. That that was how I was trying to to deal, you know, with my pain and this emptiness. And so, I, this is just something that I feel like um, that, that 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 we all are, are struggling with. Anybody that's listening, you know, have things that may. You know, they're they're idle They become idols in our lives. They become things that capture our attention, and they're things that we want and we spend time thinking about. That begin to take the place that God should have, you know, in our life. And um, some of them are not, you know, terrible things, like you know that cup of coffee that you start to you know really really need in the morning, or how much time people are spending on their cell phones or social media or. Or the security of having a nice bank account or a good job or, or that right boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. But let me put this truth out to you and just ask you, how would your life be different if in your heart of hearts, these 15 inches down, you, this was true for you? I find my longings and purpose met in intimacy with God and His purposes. What if you could find your complete and total satisfaction in your relationship with God? How would that make your life different?
1: Hmm. It would make your relationship with God the only thing worth pursuing and doing anything about. So all these other things would become secondary. They would become the outflow of your relationship with God. And so all these things that, you know, like you said, some of them aren't terrible, um, but they have to become, they would become secondary Second to the... Second place the, instead of first place. More important things, yeah.
2: Yeah. I would love to see a, I would love to go to a, a meeting or a church or a service or some place, where you were with people that felt that way, that, that were living that from the heart. I think John Piper was the one that said... Um, God is most glorified in me when I am most content and most satisfied in him. And wouldn't it be wonderful just to be totally satisfied and content in, in God and how how that would lead to worship and, and our life would just be a life of, of constant worship. Now, two last things. One is, uh, how, the, what I'm talking about is is like a mystery and kind of a miracle. And, and it's something that you can know all of the right answers and yet still have these blind spots in your life. And as I stand up in front of the, the missionaries that I'm training, I, sometimes I've joked and said, I wish I you know, had a, a little a bag of pixie dust or something here that you know, I could just sprinkle over you all and that you could, you could have this incredible experience you know, that I had of just God revealing these powerful truths and shining his light down past the blind spots and helping me to see these things. Or, you know, I wish I had a little magic wand and just ding, 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 you know. And, it, and it's not like that. It, it doesn't work like that. And, and so I wonder, like, I, I wonder, one, maybe just just the accumulation of years for one thing, You know, for me, it's kind of like climbing a mountain. The farther up that mountain, the better the view becomes. You know, the the clearer your perspective is, the, the, the better able you are to see things. You know, when, when you're putting together the tapestry of life and you're in your 20s, you know, you're down there right there in the loom and you're looking at each little thread and you're weaving it all together. When, when you get to be older, maybe you can stand back and you can see some of those streams in your life, some of those threads, some of the storylines of what God is doing. And, and maybe it's partly that. Another thing, though, that I would say is just an attitude of humility and to say to God regularly, Lord, do you suppose that there's still more work that you want to do in my life? And could it be that it's not so much that I need to understand you better or read more or study more, but that I need to be willing to let your Holy Spirit shine his light in those corners, that I I need to be asking you, you know, what? Show me my heart and and help me to understand these things, because when we're saved, that's when we get the promise of eternal life. And that's great. But all of those millions of minutes after that are where Jesus is working to help us to experience the abundant life. And that's where he wants us to feel totally forgiven and free and where he wants us to feel totally loved and accepted is where he wants us to feel totally satisfied and just delighted you know in our relationship with him that's what he wants to work out in us and so to say to him in humility lord i don't understand my own heart i i don't know all these things, I, I'm not intelligent enough to figure out what lies, you know, I've, I've muddled along, I've done the best I could with, with what I know, but help me, help me, take me to those places go deeper in my life and and I'm hungry I want more yeah. of what you have for me it makes
1: me think of the seek and you will find yes. just to not stop seeking for uh, how god's working in your life and going to change you yes that's so good and you know like you said you'd maybe not sure when it's going to happen but it will if you don't stop searching after it
2: I would just like to wind up with this thought, and, and it's something that's very profound to me, and, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, but here's the truth, is that we are able to teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. And God is all about seeing His family grow. <laughs> And he wants it to reproduce. And and I'm training missionaries. I mean, we want to see God's kingdom come. We want to see God's family growing. We want to see it advanced. You know, you're out there working at South Mountain Christian Camp. You want to see God's kingdom coming to them. You want to see them uh, understanding these things. You want to see them coming into a relationship with him. But we will only go so far if our relationship with God our intellectual concepts and, and things that we know about in our head, uh, questions that we can answer correctly on a quiz or on an exam. And what God is interested in is our hearts. And the reason that he's interested in our, in our hearts is because he wants to do that deep work in us that will then, that is how we will begin to see That life reproduced in others. And I've seen dozens of vacation Bible school curriculums that are talking about the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit. And I used to think, oh, that's just one more thing to work on, you know, out there cultivating. I have a huge garden in the backyard and I was out there, you know, 45 minutes a day in the sun sweating with a hoe, you know, trying to cultivate you know, my plants. But, but it's not really, that's not how it happens. This is a beautiful thing of when the Holy Spirit is doing that deep work in our lives. And so that it comes to the place where who we are Is a person that's experienced that forgiveness and is living that every day we've experienced that god's presence and intimacy with him and his love for us it's something we're living moment by moment it's where we are uh experiencing just the delight of satisfaction in him and it's just a natural thing you can't help it it just fills you so full and Jesus talked about how He wants to fill us with living water, streams of living water that will flow out of us. And it's just like it's it's, it's we become so full, it, it just splashes out. And and it's you hardly have to say anything. It's just who you are that becomes so attractive to other people and makes them want that. And that will be reproduced in others. And that's why it's so important, not just to just to keep studying and learning and striving and working, but to get to the place where we can rest in the goodness of God and relax in his arms and sit in his lap and enjoy that intimacy with him and be loved and, and, and enjoy being his child. And I'm going to get all emotional, but it's just, that's what he wants for us. That's what he wants for us. And that will be what, what we see reproduced in others.
0: I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I know we enjoyed recording it. Um, if you're interested in more from Ed, he actually has written a book titled When Granddaddy Was Little Eddie. It's just stories from his childhood. Uh, It's really some incredible stories. My favorite one is the time when he and his brothers accidentally burned their house to the ground while trying to build a volcano in the backyard. Uh, It's full of great stories. I recommend you check it out, um, and I'll put a link to that in the, the show notes. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.